Heavenly Father, we come before you now and ask that you would give us understanding so that we will keep your law and obey it with all our hearts. Oh, Lord, we know that our hearts are so often hard, but, Lord, we know that you can soften them. And so, Lord, we pray that you would soften them now as we look at the words of Jesus so many years ago and that they would penetrate deep within to our souls. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we've been looking at John's Gospel together, and last time I preached, we looked at John chapter 8, verses 12 down to verse 15, and we saw that Jesus is talking to the Jews. He's talking to them at a particular time when they're uh, at the temple for a religious festival, and he declared to them that he is the light of the world, and that's what we concentrated on last time, was his words in verse 12, that he is the light of the world, and that he is quite justified to say that to declare that he is the light of the world. The Jews opposed him. In verse 13, it says, The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. But he then declared to them, I'm the son of God. Of course, my testimony is valid. I am from above. You are from below. If I say that I am the light of the world, my testimony is valid. I don't need validation from anybody else. But now we're going to look at verses 16 and through, and we see that somebody does validate his word, that there is another witness to the fact that Jesus is the light of the world, that we should listen to Jesus' words. Who is that? Well, it's God the Father himself. We read in verse 16, But if I do judge, my decisions are right because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. Jesus has been sent by God. God the Father. And so therefore, his words have been validated by God. And we see again and again in this passage that I just read that the Father testifies that Jesus is one who should be listened to, that we should listen to Jesus. He witnesses uh, to Jesus' words. We see that in verse 18. Verse 18, it says, I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father the one who sent him, who sent me. And then in verse 19, it says, they asked him, where is your father? And he says, you do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. There's an intimacy with Jesus that if you see Jesus, you actually see God the Father. If you know Jesus, you know the Father. And then down in verse 26, Again, Jesus speaks of the importance of the Father's role in validating his testimony. Verse 26, it says, I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me, the Father, is reliable. And what I have heard from him, I tell the world. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, who told him to say that? It was God the Father. And then over the page into verse 28, he says that when Uh, They have lifted up the Son of Man. They lift him up, and this is a reference to his death on the cross. Then you will know that I am the one I claim to be and that I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. Again, Jesus is saying, the Father endorses what I say. I do nothing on my own, and what I say is from God. The Father has taught me. And we see the intimacy that he has with the Father in the next verse as well, verse 29. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. He's never alone. The Father is with him. And Jesus always does what pleases God the Father. So when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, the Father is pleased 
with what he is saying and he should be listened to. And so we should consider that he is indeed the light of the world, which is what we did last time that I preached. But I also want to pay attention today to some words of Jesus that are given to us in verse 21 and 24, which apply to us as well. Again and again, Jesus has said, the Father endorses what I say. So what should we listen to from Jesus? Well, verse 21, he says a profound truth that all of humanity needs to hear. And what is that? Look with me at verse 21. Once more, Jesus said to them, I'm going away and you'll look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. Jesus says to them, they will die in their sin. And then in verse 24, he says the same thing again to them. They keep coming up with reasons not to trust him, but he keeps telling them. Verse 24, he says, I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be, you will indeed die in your sins. Three times in this passage, he says, you will die in your sins. You will die in your sin. You will die in your sins. And this is something we need to listen to. Not just because Jesus says it, but because the Father also says it. If God says it through his Son, then we need to hear this truth today that he says three times that people will die in their sin. And this is something that we need to have told to us because we don't like to think of our inevitable death. People go about their lives and they try to not consider that one day they will surely die. We can all, we all have different possibilities as to what will happen in our life. Some of us will make a lot of money. Some of us won't make much money. Some of us will own a lot in this world. Some of us will have good health. Some of us will have poor health. But there's one thing that we will all experience, and that is death. And if we think about death, we think about the horrible ways that we might die. That's often one of the things when we consider death, and that's why we suppress it. We, we know that there's so many terrible ways that there are to die. We know of the horror movies that are out there that portray the terrible things that some person who's mentally unhinged does to people and causes them extreme pain before their death. And we don't want to have that gruesome death thrust upon us. Or we think about the natural disasters and the horrific deaths that can occur in those. The burning in bushfires, the being swallowed by the earth in earthquakes, the dying of thirst in droughts where people just have nothing left to eat and starve to death. And then there are the diseases that come with struggling and pain. There are so many diseases out there that we fear will be there and cause our deaths. An older family member of mine has just been diagnosed with motor neurone disease. And if you don't know what that is, a neurologist in the Sydney Morning Herald commented about the disease earlier this year if you were to design the cruelest of disease, this would be it. It robs you of your ability to walk, to use your hands, scratch your nose, swallow, hug your loved ones. Yet it leaves intact all your intellect and your special senses, sight, hearing, smell, so you're able to watch your body waste away. Basically, your body just starts shutting down bit by bit, and you're awake and alert for the entire process. And so when we think of our death, we generally think of these horrific ways to die, and we push out thought of our death. But these horrific deaths are not actually deaths. 
They're simply pain before the bodily death. Even tragic pain can be overcome. The heroine may kill the axe murderer that's coming for her, and so she thought she was going to die a terrible death, but she lives for another day. Or the drowned person in a flood is resuscitated. He thought he was dying. His eyes closed. He went unconscious. But next thing you know, he's alive again. And even some with motor neuron disease live for years, decades, after the diagnosis. And Stephen Hawking is an example of that. Jesus tells us that there's only really two ways to die. Jesus tells us in the scriptures that there are only two ways to die. All those horrific deaths that we think of, they're really pain just before a death. There's only really two deaths. What are they? Well, one is given to us in this text, and that is to die in your sins. You can die in your sins. Or, as Revelation 13 tells us, you can die in the Lord. And the rest of the scriptures upholds that as well. There are only two deaths, dying in sin or dying in the Lord. And so what does it mean to die in your sins? What does Jesus mean when he says there in verse 21, you will die in your sin. And then in verse 24, I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be, you will indeed die in your sins. What does that mean? Well, it means that when you die, the lies, the disobedience, the theft, the jealousy, the anger, the adulteries, the false worship that you've filled your life with, all those sins are still attached to your body when you pass away. You die unrepentant, you die unbelieving, with a blackened heart and soul and mind. If you die in your sins, you die guilt-ridden, ashamed, fearful, miserable, without comfort and without peace. You die unforgiven and in debt to God. And if you die unforgiven and in debt to God, it means that you'll be judged eternally, that you'll be condemned for eternity and punished in the fires of hell. That's what it means to die in your sin. And people do it all the time. They die in their sins. A biblical example is Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus Christ. He thought he could make his life better by betraying the Son of God. And he got his money for betraying Jesus, but it didn't make him happy. And he didn't know what to do with it. He threw it away and then committed suicide. He died in his sins. But if you listen to Jesus and God the Father, don't forget God the Father stands witness with Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, that he is who he claims to be, then you can die in him. You can die in your sin or you can die in him. He says there in verse 24, I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe I am the one I claim to be, you will indeed die in your sins. You need to believe in Jesus. And if you do, you do not die in your sins. You believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And it may even be that uh, Jesus is saying in verse 24, if you do not believe that I am God, that's one translation that you could have of verse 24, that is just saying I am there. And if you've got a 
modern translation, they usually show that in the footnotes, as we see in our NIV here. Um, it says down in verse, uh, there's a little letter B, drop down to the margin, 24, or I am here, a reference to the fact that God's name is I am in Exodus. If you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ who comes to save us, you won't die in your sins. What does it mean to die then in Christ? It means to die justified, that you're right with God. You're no longer condemned before God, but you are right with God. It means that you die sanctified, that you are holy, that your sins have been stripped away, and instead God has bestowed Christ's righteousness upon you. That all the good that Jesus did in his life is put over to your account and all your sin is washed away in his death. And instead of dying in your sins, you die with actually good deeds attached to you that Christ has done through you, that you can actually do right in this world. And those good deeds follow you. And it means that you are therefore blessed when you die in Christ. That's what Revelation 14, verse 13 says. Revelation 14, verse 13, it says, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor, for their deeds will follow them. That's what it means to die in the Lord, that your sin is no longer attached to you, and instead you've got Christ's righteousness attached to you, and you die blessed. And so you die safe in the arms of Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, and go where he has gone. He tells them there they cannot go where he goes. But if you die in the Lord, you can go where Jesus goes, which is heaven itself. Even if you die friendless in this world, you die alone in a prison cell somewhere. If you die in the Lord, you die safe in the arms of Jesus and angels are sent and carry you. To Abraham's bosom, it says, and Jesus says when the, the, the beggar who lived his life outside the rich man's house, when he passed away, angels carried him to Abraham's side. And that's what happens to those who die in the Lord. And you then awaken in a heavenly home with an eternal inheritance and a great reward. You awaken to a new resurrection body that feels no pain, no sadness, and will experience no death. For all of eternity, and you awaken to Christ in his glory. You'll die in Christ and you awaken to Christ. There's two deaths that we can die in this world death in sin, death in Christ. So I love to hear about those who die in the Lord. There are many famous Christians throughout church history, and we have different accounts of their deaths. One of my favourites is the death of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a preacher last century over in London, uh, one of my favourite preachers, and you can still listen to his recordings online, and I encourage you to do so. He's a Welsh preacher in London last century, and there's an account given in his biography of how he died and how he died in the Lord. So his death was imminent. The doctor had diagnosed that he didn't have much longer to live. And so we read this account in his biography. I'll read it to you now. In the last few days of Martin Lloyd-Jones' life, when his speech was gone, he pointed his daughter very definitely to the words of 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18, which begin, For which cause we faint not, but not though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. 
His daughter said, when I asked him if that was his experience now, he nodded his head with great vigour. He's pointing to these texts. Even when he can no longer speak, he's pointing to them and saying, even though I waste away outwardly, inwardly I'm being renewed day by day. On Thursday evening, in a shaky hand, he wrote on a scrap of paper for the family, do not pray for healing. Do not hold me back from glory. The next day, he was full of smiles for the little circle who gathered around him, and by these and gestures, he spoke, in inverted commas, so clearly that one almost forgot the absence of his voice. By rolling one hand over another and pointing, he might request one of us particularly to speak or clasping his hands together to pray. On Saturday, he was unconscious. A little while later, he came round and knew at once what was happening. He knew that he was about to pass over into the next life. To his daughter's inquiry whether he'd like a cup of tea, he nodded. I think about Englishmen, of course. What's the last thing you're doing just before you die? Having a cup of tea. Yes, he nodded he'd have some tea. And while she went to make it, Anne, his other daughter, he's got two daughters, Elizabeth and Anne, Anne, his other daughter, prayed with him. He then drank some of the tea as his daughters sat with him for about half an hour before sleeping. For over 50 years, Martin Lloyd-Jones had followed McChain's calendar for daily Bible readings, and one of those readings for that day was 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Perhaps the conclusion of that chapter, thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, or the words of Anne's prayer were in his consciousness as he quietly fell asleep. We cannot know, for his next awakening was in the land of the blessed. And then there's a quote from Psalm 17. As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. This is how a Christian dies. This is how someone dies in the Lord. This is how someone dies without sin, without fear, without shame. He's off to see the holy God. And is he ashamed? No. He knows he goes without his sin. That's left behind because Jesus has washed it away. He experiences a true RIP, a rest in peace. Our culture likes to talk about euthanasia, and it comes up again and again in our government. But there is only one euthanasia. What does euthanasia mean? Good death. That's what it comes from, Greek words, euthanasia. There's only one good death, there's only one euthanasia, and that's to die in Christ. Two people may die of a heart attack, and the world looks on and says, yes, same death. But a Christian can know better. A Christian can know that one person can die of a heart attack and die in their sin, and the other person can die of a heart attack but die in Christ. Two people can die in a car accident in the same vehicle, and people look at them and say, same death. But if a husband is a believer and the wife is not, two very different deaths. The wife is a believer and the husband is not, two very different deaths. There's no third way to die. There's only two. You think about all the horrors of death. Yes, horrors before death, but there's only two deaths. Death in Christ or death in sin. And so we shouldn't be afraid of the horrors of death. We should only be afraid of the death that comes in sin. 
Now, my sermon this morning may make you feel uncomfortable. You may think I'm mad for proclaiming this, but this is Christianity. Christians are people who have considered their own death. If you call yourself a Christian and you have not considered your death, you're not a Christian because this is why we are Christians is because we have thought about our death. We've thought about the fact that we will die in sin and we've done something about it. And what is that we've done? We've done what Jesus Christ tells us to do in verse 24. I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be. We've been led by our fear of death in sin and the judgment of God to go to Jesus Christ and trust in him. We want doctors to tell us the truth about fatal diseases. We don't want them to just say, it's okay, it's okay, you're not dying. There's no tragedy before you. And it's the same with pastors. You want a pastor who tells you the truth about death in sin. And deep down we all know that there's no more important question that we can ask of ourselves. How am I going to die? Die in sin or die in Christ? We put it off, put it off, put it off. But there's no greater question we can ask. Now, many oppose Jesus' words. If you look through this passage, we read it before, you see them asking all kinds of questions, putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. What does he mean? Asking him to clarify, but they're not interested. But what do we read in verse 30? Verse 30. Even as he spoke, many put their faith in him. Not everyone put their faith in him, but many did, even as he spoke so long ago. Jesus still speaks today. The Father still speaks today through the Son. As you read these words, he speaks. question is, will you believe? No one has to die in their sins. The offer is made to everyone. Come to Christ. Trust in him. I encourage you, don't die in your sins. Die in Christ. Pray to Jesus now. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And go out of this building justified, ready to welcome death, because you know that to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's how Christians view death. It's gain because they know that they're not dying in their sin, that they're going to their eternal home. Top Ladies hymn, Rock of Ages, speaks so well about the death that we experience as Christians. It says, While I draw this fleeting breath, when my eyes shall close in death, when I soar to worlds unknown, see thee on thy judgment throne, Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. That is the Christian's experience. That is the Christian's hope, that they are cleft in the rock, that they're cleft in Jesus Christ. And when they die, they die in the Lord and their deeds follow them. And if you are a Christian and you know this is true for yourself, don't just keep it for yourself. Learn from Christ's example here and tell others the truth about death. Tell them that they will die in their sins, that there are only two deaths. Death in Christ or death in sin? Jesus told these people, even while they were trying to kill him, there were different attempts made on his life. 
People opposed him strongly. Now, here in Australia, I don't think anyone that you tell that they're going to die in their sins is probably going to pick up a knife and attack you. But how often do we shrink back from telling those around us that they're dying in their sins? And they don't have to. If they come to Jesus Christ, they can die in him and go into eternal glory. I'm often ashamed of how Christians seem to minimise the fact that people are dying in their sins around them and will not present the gospel truth. And I know from my own heart that it is difficult, that it is hard for me. I need the courage. The Apostle Paul even asked that people would pray for him, that he would fearlessly declare the gospel. It is hard for us with our sinful human hearts to proclaim the truth that we have. We need to look around us and see that people are dead people around us. There's a movie, The Sixth Sense, from Bruce Willis. I won't spoil a lot of it, but there's a little boy in it. And he says, he confesses, I see dead people. You can watch the movie and find out what that all means. But that's the way we're meant to view this world. We see dead people. Everyone around us is dying. You don't know whether you'll be alive tonight. You've got no idea. You think you will be? You may not be. And the friends that you have, the family members that you know, the strangers you see on the street, they may not be alive tonight. We need to be like Jesus and tell them, unless you believe in him, unless you believe that he is the one that he claims to be, you will die in your sins. We need to do so. Now, this doesn't mean that every day you tell people around you that they're dying in their sins and badger them all the time, but at least tell them once or twice. I have a sister who knows the gospel, and I remind her every so often, but every conversation I have with her, I don't tell her you're dying in your sins, but I know that I have told her the words of eternal life. Are there people in your life who have never heard the words of eternal life, that you've never told them the words of Jesus Christ, even though you know the way to eternal life for them? Follow the example of Christ. Pretty much no one's going to kill you, whereas they were going to kill him, and he still told them that they were dying in their sins. We have the words of eternal life. How can we keep them in? Let's pray to God now. Let's speak to him. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you testified to the truth of Christ's words, that when he spoke, they were your words, that you taught him what to say. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for telling us that we will die in our sins if we die apart from you. Oh Lord, we pray that you would help us to trust in you and die in you as truly blessed ones. And Lord, we pray that you would give us the courage to tell others that they will die in their sins if they do not believe that Jesus is the one he claims to be. And we pray this in his name. Amen.